Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me for episode 48 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a reminder, you can find detailed show notes of this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 48. If you've ever been downsized or laid off, you already know what a crappy experience that can be. I've, I've only gone through this one time before, and it, I was expecting it, but it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun at all. It was emotionally draining. It was taxing. And, you know, looking back, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. But, of course, at the moment, I wasn't thinking that way, you know, and uh, it, it was it was very difficult. Now, I, I recently met a very successful freelance writer who went through this just a few years ago, and he's been able to build a very successful six-figure freelance writing business. His name is Don Sadler. And he was laid off from his job in 2009. He had been working as a staff writer, editor, and editorial director for several different custom publishing firms up until that point, and some actually very large ones. And um, he had also been freelancing on the side for several years. But in 2009, when the financial crisis was at its kind of a, its zenith, if you will, he uh, found himself without a job and was able to pivot very, very quickly and create a very successful, it's become a very successful freelance writing practice. And today he writes content in all different forms, articles, blogs, website pages, brochures, white papers, video scripts, you name it. And content specifically focused or primarily focused on the business and financial services industries. Now, one of the, I guess there are a couple of big lessons here in, in this interview that, that that I'm doing here with, with Don today. One of them, it, these are recurring themes in this podcast, but I really want to highlight them here. And, and, and I urge you to pay attention to what Don has to share in both of these areas. The first one is to start now. You know, even if you're happy, you're comfortably employed, you think everything's fine, you think there's no urgency, There's there's a big message here for the importance of, of starting today. Don't wait. And, and don't wait until everything's perfect, right? You guys have heard me say this many, many times. Start now. Ready, fire, aim. Start taking those steps. Good enough is good enough. Get going and let things unfold, okay? Start taking action. So that's the big one. The second big important point that you'll that will come out of this interview is to the importance of leveraging your industry knowledge, experience, and relationships. It's another really big theme in this podcast, and you'll you'll hear from Don uh, directly as to how these two things enabled him to pivot quickly when you know that that the big the pink slip was was um, was delivered to him, and how he's able to, to create a business that. Um, it's exceeded what he used to make as an employee, and he's having a heck of a time doing it, loving every minute of it. 
Um, anyway, I think you're going to walk away with some great ideas and insights. And even if you've been doing this for a while, I urge you to listen to Don's message. It's got some great ideas and um, some inspiration for freelance writers at all different levels. So let's get to the interview and I'll come back to you at the end. Hey, Don, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Ed. Good to be here. Man, well, you know, we we're talking a little bit um, before the show here about how excited I am to be talking with someone who had kind of a similar path than I did, right? You, you started part-time, you were moonlighting for a while, you transitioned, you're a very successful full-time freelance writer today, and I don't want to, you know, steal your spotlight. I want you to tell us and take your time with this because this is important that people hear your story. Tell us about how you got started. Tell us about yourself, what you do today. You know, bring it on. Sure. Good. All right. So, um, again, my name's Don Sadler. I'm a full-time commercial freelance writer. Um, I specialize in a couple of niches, uh, business and finance, and um, that's been one of the keys to my success, but I'll talk more about that later. Um, I started my professional career uh, in 1985 uh, working for a newsletter publishing company in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I worked there for 12 years, first job out of college, which is pretty rare these days, and then uh, moved to Atlanta in 1997 to work for another publishing company, really a competitor of my former company, but a much, much smaller company. And worked there from 97 until 2005 when that company was bought by another very big custom publishing company, uh, kind of the gorilla in the industry. Um, they bought the small company that I worked for in Atlanta in 2005, and I worked for them until 2009. And that's when I got the uh, dreaded layoff call that most people dread, and um, it's certainly not something that I was looking forward to. But uh, the good news is that I kind of saw that call, I kind of saw that layoff coming at least six months in advance. And so I had started to prepare myself um, mentally and emotionally for what I was going to do when that happened. And so um, when that did happen, um, at 4 o'clock on a Friday, which is by the corporate textbook, by the way, um, I was ready to go ahead and give full-time freelancing a shot. I had gotten myself mentally and emotionally prepared for it, and um, so I gave it a go right from day one. And um, But the real key to what enabled me to launch my freelance business right out of the gate is the fact that I started freelancing on the side as soon as we moved to Atlanta in 1997. So you moved to Atlanta in 1997. You've been, so you had been freelancing on the side for a long time. Yes. Yes. For well, from 97 until 2009. So, wow. so wow. for a good, um, what's that? 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I didn't, I didn't realize it had been that long. So tell yeah. me a little bit about, cause you know, I, I moonlighted for about three years total mm -hmm. and I thought it was insane. I mean, I had taken it to a point where, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep that up. Uh, how do you, how were you able to maintain your sanity and, and control your, your workload after 12 years? You're very well known. I mean, how, well, how did um, that happen? Let me tell you a little bit about, about how I got started freelancing in the first place. When we moved to Atlanta in 1997, during the first few months that we lived here, um, I went to a Public Relations Society of America luncheon that um, a PR person who I knew invited me to. And it just so happened that um, the luncheon that day was a panel of three Atlanta magazine editors. 
um, one of whom was the editor of Business to Business magazine, which was a brand new Atlanta-specific business magazine that had just launched in 1997. So I went up to him afterwards, um, introduced and introduced myself, uh, told him I was new in town, I was a business writer, and I was looking to start doing some freelance work. And to my surprise, he said, um, "Sounds good. Send me a couple of samples, and um, you know we'll see if we can get you something." And so, uh, sure enough, I did. He got me an assignment uh, right away. Um, I did a good job on it, and he started sending me. Um, basically, I got a couple of different uh, columns and departments in the magazine, and so um, I had an article every month that I wrote uh, for business business. Uh, pardon me, business to business magazine, and that's that was my very first uh, freelance job. And um, what another thing that surprised me was that once I got that job under my belt. Um, in addition to my full-time job, which was also as a business editor and writer. So they really flowed well together. I was able to take what I did in my 9-to-5 job and parlay that into freelance work, at least in terms of kind of doing the same thing, focused on the same content area, doing the same kinds of writings, and um, kind of being plugged into the same areas. So so it all kind of played off of each other. And um, like I was saying, it, it surprised me how, how easy it was to start landing new freelance clients once I had a couple under my belt. Yeah, and you know, I remember that magazine too. I thought you probably would. <laughs> yeah, I remember it because, it, 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 yeah, I moved here in, in the late 90s and mm-hmm. – I remember when they launched. And in fact, the reason I know it is the the owner, the 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 founder of of the publication was the it was a lady, right? Wasn't yes, it, it was right. And she and I'm was drawing the, a blank on her name. <laughs> yeah, she was the girlfriend of the CEO of the company that my wife was working for, Manhattan okay. Associates. Interesting, interesting. So that's and how uh, Tim I, Tim Darnell, by the way, was the first editor. Tim, okay. if you're listening, uh, shout out to Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that name sounds real real familiar. So. Right. All right, so you're kind of a, a fluke thing, but you know what? People say, "Oh, yeah, but that doesn't happen today." But you know what? There are other opportunities today. the The whole point, I think, the lesson learned is that you just took a chance. You know, mm-hmm. you went out exactly. there, you got out there. You know, you don't know where these things are going to come from, but you were smart enough to just get out there and talk to people and see what, what would come out of it. And then, exactly, you were also doing this in your day job and. Right, you were able to, to. It was complimentary in a way. Now it was, it was very complimentary. I mean, literally, um, I spent you know nine to five every day writing, editing, researching business topics, and then I would turn right around and write business articles for B two B magazine. You know, in the evenings and on the weekends during my during my spare time, and and all of that kind of led to other opportunities. I was fortunate in that what I did during my nine to five job tended to open doors of opportunity for freelance clients as well. Now, I wasn't poaching on my employer's clients, not by, not by any stretch of the imagination, but just as I was researching and, and talking to people and doing different things, little opportunities would come up. But that's, that's probably um, a lesson worth sharing right there, right there and that is that um, to always keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities. I, w- once I got myself into a freelance state of mind, I was always looking for freelance opportunities and clients and projects and things like that. And, and given what I did during my nine to five really kind of um, gave me lots of opportunities because I was looking for. So tell me about that. Give me some examples of some, some of your next couple of sets of clients. How did they sure. come about? 
Great, great. Okay, so here's a perfect example. So um, one of my clients with my former employer was a very large bank here in the southeast, and they ended up having me interview someone at a commercial finance company who they were kind of partners with in terms of pro providing different kinds of financing that banks don't usually do. It's called factoring and asset-based lending, if you know anything about that. And um, so in the course of working with the um, the guy at the finance company on an article for my client's publication, he said, hey, you, you get this stuff. You seem to understand factoring and asset-based lending. Um, we've been looking for a writer who can help us with our, with our monthly newsletter. Would you be interested in that? And I said, sure. So I ended up um, working for them on a freelance basis. Uh, writing their monthly newsletter as well as other different writing projects that would come up for them. And, um, you know, they became probably my second or third freelance client, and they had regular work for me um, on a consistent basis. And um, he was one of the first people that I called when I went full-time freelance and told him that I was, you know, what I was doing, that I was now a full-time freelancer. And their offices happened to be here in Atlanta. He said, hey, come on down. Let's, let's talk about some more stuff that we can do together. And he ended up hiring me on a retainer basis to do all of their writing and communications work for them. And they are my client to this day. So I've been um, on a retainer basis with them, on a monthly retainer basis with them, since my second or third month of freelancing. And that oh, wow. specific client came about um, because I was doing work for my former employer, and he asked me if I could help with them with, with their writing needs, and, and that's what that led to. So uh, this, is, this is somebody who approached you. I'm wondering, did you, let's say during your first three or four years, did you do any kind of outbound prospecting where you were out purposely and proactively reaching out to prospective clients? No, I did not. I just kept my eyes and ears open for opportunities that, wow. uh, that again, just kind of tended to come up because I was looking for them in the course of my, of my nine to five job. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I think there's something to be said about the, when you have a steady paycheck and you don't really have a short time horizon, Right. I mean, at the, at, and I shouldn't assume anything at the time. Did you think that you were going to be turning this into a full time business anytime soon? Or was it really more for, for supplementary income? It, I did not anticipate turning it into full time business anytime soon. That's a great question. Um, I did it for two or three reasons. Um, Number one was, as you said, supplementary income. I kind of considered it my mad money. Um, at my peak, I was probably making between a thousand and two thousand dollars a month in freelance money. So that's pretty good, pretty good mad money, pretty oh, yeah. good side income for sure. So, um, so the income was great. Um, but the second reason, and really as, as big a reason as the income, was just the personal satisfaction that I got out of it. Um, I found that I, I actually have an entrepreneurial bent to me. I really didn't realize that. I really hadn't given it much thought. But the whole process of getting clients, uh, getting clients of my own, um, doing work for them, uh, doing good work for them, having them you know, be pleased with my work, and then having them pay me for that really was really satisfying. I really got a charge out of it. And um, that's not something that I really expected. But after I had been doing it for a couple of years, I realized that, hey, I've, I've got a little bit of entrepreneur in me. And this is after having been a, a full-time employee since 1985. So I'd spent my entire year, you know, my entire life in the corporate world, getting a paycheck, you know, all that stuff, and was perfectly comfortable with that. 
but um, I found that I had a little bit of entrepreneur in me, and so just the, the the personal satisfaction I got out of out of doing my side business, you know, having my side business was was very satisfying. Well, and I I've seen this before where uh, people do it just because it's fun. Of course, the income is great. Mm -hmm. They don't really have the pressure of you know I got to pay the mortgage you know in a few e weeks. Exactly. Yeah, it was mad money. It wasn't paying the bills money. Which takes all the pressure off. <laughs> it does, and it, it changes the dynamics, and I think there's something to be said about the results that come out of that kind of relaxed state of of just being and running your business. Because I've seen the other the other side of that, which is again the high pressure, oh my gosh, you're not gonna bring you know business in like now. And um it's a downward spiral of just bad stuff. <laughs> yes, right? stress, pressure, anxiety, which, sleeplessness. Which, and that turns off prospective clients. I mean, sure, they, they smell the fear. They smell mm -hmm. the, the anxiety. Um, so, okay, see, so what point – was there a point when you realized, wow, this is – this is not only steady, but it's, but it's really growing. Um, you know, anytime before 2009, yes, would you give it some was. thought? There definitely was, um, and in fact, it's it's one of those things that you can kind of look back on when you've gotten to where I am now, and you can look back and and, and see the things that led you to where you are right now. And and one of those, and I distinctly remember this, was um, having dinner with my wife and just talking about you know just talking about stuff. And um, I said, "Hey, you might not realize it, but I'm I'm really starting to to build my my little freelance business here, and I'm up to you know such and such amount of income, and 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 that's based on you know this number of client freelance clients that I have right now, and I've been thinking about it, and I've been thinking that if I didn't have this full time job that I spent you know nine to five every day working, but if in, I instead devoted that time to my own freelance business, I really think. I could make a go of this. I really think I could build this up and and you know replace my salary and maybe even exceed it at some point. And you know she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I certainly understand that. And at the time, I was really just dreaming. Um, I really didn't have a plan in my mind that that's something that I was going to do. But it had start. I had started to think about it. I had started to think that it's something that um, that I think I could do if the circumstance were to present itself. So um, do you want to fast forward to how that circumstance presented itself? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. So um, so again, I uh, had been working for a very large custom publishing company starting in 2005 when they acquired the small business that I worked for here in Atlanta and um, specialized in the business and financial side. Most of my clients that I wrote and edited custom publications for were financial institutions. Well, I don't have to tell the audience about what happened to uh, the financial services world after 2008. Oh, yeah. um, the the new business um, in, in my niche, the financial services niche, uh, just really just ground to a screeching halt um, at my company. Uh, there wasn't any new business coming in. Uh, the clients that we did have in the financial services realm were kind of slowly dropping off one by one. And I could see the handwriting on the wall. Probably in, in early 2008, um, I could see that it probably wasn't a matter of if, but when they were going to have to let me go just because they couldn't afford to keep paying me anymore. It just didn't make any sense. And so, um, again, having seen that handwriting on the wall, when I got the layoff call uh, the first week of January in 2009, I wasn't surprised. Um, now, 
again, I had been an employee for 24 years, had never gotten fired or laid off from a job. So even though I kind of anticipated it, it didn't make it any easier. It was, uh, it was, it was not a pleasant call. It was not a pleasant afternoon, and it was a pretty scary weekend. But um, the thing that gave me an incredible amount of encouragement, and again, this just ties back to the importance of starting freelance work on the side long before you think you want to start your own freelance business, is the fact that as soon as I got off the phone from my layoff call, because I worked as a remote employee from home, uh, my employer was located in upstate New York, so so they did the layoff over the phone, which I understood. Um, as soon as I got off the phone from them, I fired off emails to two of my freelance clients, told them that I had just gotten laid off, and I was available for as much work as they could send me. I had heard from both of them before the end of the day on Friday, saying they would have work for me first thing Monday morning, and they did. And so I started my very first day of full-time self-employment with paying work, and I've had paying work every day since. Oh, that's great. That's great. Did you ever imagine when you were doing this that this is a good insurance policy? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I never really thought of it that way. Like, like I said, my reasons for freelancing were a little side income and a lot of personal satisfaction. Um, but as I began to realize that I was, it wasn't a matter of if, but when that I was going to get laid off, that's when I started thinking about what I was going to do. Because frankly, I had worked for this company for a long enough time and had risen up the ranks, so to speak, to a level that I was earning a salary that I knew would be very difficult for me to just go find another job that would, would replace that salary. So I knew that my best chance of um, of getting my, back to my salary level, if not exceeding it, was to go freelance instead of look for another job. Yeah. Well, and, and I only ask that question because that's something a lot of people don't think about, right? I talk to a lot of new and aspiring freelance writers who are looking at it as a uh, very definite career move. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're looking to make the transition. They want to do this. And either they're either working right now, they're not, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're, it's like a black or white scenario. And I say, look, there's a third option here, which could be kind of like what you did. Uh, just start now anyway, even if you're mm -hmm. happy in your job. And you're a perfect example of someone who's perfectly happy right. in their full-time job. Because if anything, you know, it's a mad money, it's, you know, you could store away some more money, right? Start saving a little more. Mm -hmm. right. um, and it's an insurance policy. And what it does is it buys you. I've seen people do this. It buys you so much freedom and it buys you some guts. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be a little bit bolder in your, in your full-time job. Maybe make better decisions, bolder decisions when you know you got something that's, that's already starting to crank out some, some pesos. Right. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and certainly it was a long ways from, you know, a thousand, maybe two thousand dollars a month to replacing my former salary. Um, but having that as a base, as a starting point was just invaluable in terms of getting getting off the ground. And, and, and I've told people this before. Um, the best analogy that I can think of is like a snowball rolling down a hill. Once you get the ball rolling, it just starts picking up speed. It starts picking up momentum. And I found, just like I thought was going to be the case, when I had all day every day to devote to my own business instead of working for somebody else, the, the results were just, just blew me away. I mean, I had all day every day to look for my own clients, to, to do work for my own clients. All of the you know mental and emotional energy and time and everything that went into 
working for somebody else's business was now going into working for my own business. And it was, you know, much easier to work late hours. I mean, I didn't mind working past five, you know, I wasn't looking at the watch and, oh, it's five o'clock. It's time to, time to turn off the computer or whatever, you know, I mean, that just, that becomes a non-issue, you know, uh, working on Saturday, no big deal. It was because it was for my business. It wasn't for somebody else. Yeah, that really changes things. Mm-hmm. So, so let's. I want to transition a little bit here and get into the the success that you've achieved since then, because you you're a very successful guy, and um, I know that listeners would be very interested to hear how you've been able to take it from you know a side gig to a very lucrative freelance business. So, if if you don't mind, maybe kind of give us an idea of where you are today in terms of you know, income range or, you know, I don't know how comfortable you are talking about that. Uh, sure. Um, I was able to um, replace my old salary uh, by the end of my first year of full-time self-employment. Wow. Um, so, and in fact, and, and, and as a self-employed person, you tend to gauge your income on a monthly basis. And so um, monthly, I was earning, I was exceeding my old salary uh, by the end of my first full year of full-time self-employment. Um, my, my annual income for my first full year was about 80% of my old salary. So I was, I was able to get up to my old salary level really, really quickly. Um, my second full time, or pardon me, my second full year of, uh, of, of self-employment, um, I exceeded six figures and, um, I, my income has grown every year since then. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, um, l- let's get into, let's get into the, the whole peaks and valleys of, mm-hmm. of yes. income, because I know this is a question that comes up quite a bit and um, especially, you know, kind of early on, right? Even though you've been doing this for a long time, it's still a huge shift. Now you're full time and it happened overnight. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've done because your income is pretty stable these days. Yes. And that's, um, I mean, that's the, anybody out there who's, who's trying to make a go of it as a full-time self-employed person, um, you know, that avoiding income peaks and valleys, trying to get some level of stability in your monthly income is, is the key, not only to paying your bills, but to sleeping at night. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's, that's a, that's a huge challenge. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share some keys to that. And, and it's, it's fairly obvious, but I'm going to state it anyway, and, I, and I'll try to talk about some ways that I've been able to achieve that. And the, the, the thing that's fairly obvious is that ongoing steady clients are better than one-off clients. Now, everybody knows that, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the key is, okay, how do I get those ongoing steady clients? Um, well, one example, like I was talking about earlier, is the commercial finance company, who um, my second full month of self-employment hired me on a monthly retainer basis at uh, $600 a month. Okay, well, I mean, that's not going to pay the mortgage, but hey, it's a start, you know. It's $600 every month that I know that I'm going to get for doing a certain amount of work for that client each month. Um, And again, like I said, I've had that client since my second full month of self-employment. So if you can, there's one example, is, uh, is getting a client to hire you on retainer. Retainers are tricky. I don't want to get into the details there, but, you know, in, in whatever way, whatever kind of uh, compensation arrangement you want to make that makes you, you know, you and your client comfortable uh, for you to do a certain amount of work for them every month for a certain amount of money. So that would be, that would be one, um, one example. Um, I came out of uh, the custom publishing world, uh, 
not sure how much readers, or pardon me, listeners know about custom publishing, but it's basically newsletters, many magazines. Of course, now a lot of custom publishing content is done online uh, that institutions and companies uh, pay publishers for to build brand awareness um, is basically what custom publishing is. But custom publishing is all about producing uh, content on a regular, consistent basis. So I've been able to kind of take that model that I that I saw work for companies that I worked for for 24 years and make it work for myself um, as a self-employed person by landing clients who hire me to do ongoing projects. Newsletters are the best example. Um, most companies, especially large companies, financial institutions, for example, uh, produce some kind of newsletter on a consistent basis, um, quarterly minimum, uh, sometimes bi-monthly, sometimes as often as monthly. And if you can get a client to hire you to produce an ongoing newsletter, that is the holy grail of ongoing, consistent, steady work. Um, I, right now, I write... Um, two quarterly newsletters for one client, a quarterly newsletter for another one, uh, and a bi-monthly, a quarterly and a bi-monthly newsletter for another one, and then I've got a handful of clients who I write um, web content for, mostly blogs and bylined articles, uh, ghostwriting those articles, um, and I have several clients who I write weekly articles for um, along those lines because they're um, striving for search engine optimization. Uh, the search engines nowadays are able to distinguish between uh, junk content and good content. And so companies that are really on the cutting edge of SEO realize that they have to have um, good quality, consistent content published on a regular basis um, in order to be search engine friendly. And so um, especially financial services companies who need quality content uh, written by somebody who understands the financial services niche um, are turning to, to writers like me to provide that. And they need it on a consistent basis. So I'm writing it on a weekly basis for, for several of my clients. So regular ongoing newsletters, um, regular uh, blogs and ghostwritten articles that need to be published on a consistent basis. Those are two good examples of, um, of getting clients to hire you for ongoing work instead of one-off projects. Now, a couple of questions there, and we don't have to get into all the projects, but I'm curious about one specific type. What would you say is a, is a range in your niche for uh, newsletters in terms of fees, average? Um, $2,000 to write a four-page newsletter quarterly. Gotcha. And it's four pages. And it's usually going to be online, correct? Print and online. Print and online. Okay. Print yeah, and so, online. So it's good money. You know, you're talking about several clients. Some of them have more than one. Some of them also, it sounds like some of these opportunities led to, oh, what about, you know, our blog? Can you help us with that? And, yes. you know, this other thing, right? So it starts growing. Um, tell us a little bit about how you found those opportunities, right? Because it, it's, you don't just say, well, listen, I only work with clients who have, you know, this kind of need, right? So you kind of have to really get a feel when you're qualifying the prospect yes, for yes, what the exactly. ongoing need might be and, and or the possibility to, to grow. Tell us a little bit about how you evaluate a prospect. Well, I mean, what, what I'm going to say doesn't have application for probably a whole lot of people. And, and that's because I, I've been very fortunate in that I've been working in the same industry for going on 30 years now. So I have a really tight niche. Um, I really understand the financial services and business industries. Um, I've written about the products 
and the issues for so long that I can literally write a lot of the stuff in my sleep. Um, I tend to write about the same topics over and over and over again, so I don't have to reinvent the wheel from scratch every time with a new assignment. So, um, But I say all of that also to say that because I've been in the industry for a long time, um, I know a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of uh, institutions. Um, several of my, my best clients right now came directly out of my prior job just because they're people that I knew. I stayed in touch with them. Um, they contacted me when they knew that I was um, full-time freelance because they knew that I could do the kind of work that they needed. So for me personally, a big part of it is just having been in the industry for a long time, having a lot of contacts, and, um, and kind of knowing how it works. And I know that doesn't help everybody out there because everybody doesn't have, you know, the benefit of, of 30 years of experience in an industry. But that's that's been the key for me. But you know what, though? I'm glad you mentioned that because, sure, maybe not everyone has 30 years. But I would say that most people have something they can leverage, but they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that really their biggest and best wins are going to come from their personal and professional network. Exactly. I mean, you have such a better chance of landing a new client if it's somebody who knows you. Um, I mean, that's, you know, half the battle, if not more. If they know you, they're going to, you know, you're going to get an audience with them. They're going to listen to you. And really, if you don't screw it up, (laughs) you're probably going to get it. Tell me a little bit about um, your your work today, does it still, would you say that most of your new clients, and, and I get the impression that you don't get a lot of new clients every year because you're going deeper into each account. So it seems like your clients are very stable, but when you do sign on and bring on a new client, uh, where are they coming from? How are you finding them? Uh, two things. And the first is the search engine optimization work that I did on my website. That That was a game changer for me. Um, about two and a half, maybe three years ago, uh, the light bulb went off. I was doing SEO copywriting for clients. Um, of course, I had my own website, which I had built when I when I first went self-employed. Um, it was okay. It was fine. It, w- it wasn't anything fancy. It was basically just a place to send people and say, here's my website. Learn a little bit about me and, and view some samples of work. And I just had one of those light bulb moments. Um, I'm doing SEO copywriting for clients. Why haven't I done it to my own site? So I went in, I rewrote my website, mainly just my homepage copy for, um, for SEO. And anybody who's listening knows what SEO copywriting is. You might not know how to do it or know all the details of how to do it, but you know what it is. You should know what it is. And um, so I went in, I knew enough about SEO copywriting to, to rewrite my homepage uh, for SEO purposes. And um, it was like turning on the faucet. I mean, literally... Within a couple of weeks, I started getting leads, uh, qualified leads, good leads, uh, from people looking for my kind of writing, and um, and it hasn't stopped since. Um, there are weeks when I get more leads than I can almost reply to uh, from people who've done a keyword search looking for um, my kind of freelance writing, finding me, and contacting me to see if um, if I can help them with projects. That's great. That's great. And, and I would add that a big reason that probably happened is not only the great work that you did there, but the fact that, what, like you said, you worked in a narrowly niched industry. And yeah, that's that that's because, huge. Right? And um, I mean, just optimizing for, you know, uh, freelance copywriter. Absolutely. You're not, 
you're not going any your your, your competition. Um, I, I I spoke at a at a freelance forum meeting here in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and I use the analogy um, when it comes to uh, niche freelancing versus generalist freelancing. And I've and I've heard debates and I've read debates on which is better. And um, I, I'm, a, I'm I come down very very strongly on the side of being a niche freelancer um, because it's worked really well for me. Um, I've got a couple of good niches, but perhaps there's a lot of reasons. But but one of the reasons is exactly what we're talking about. By being a niche freelancer, you can you can SEO your website copy. You really can't do it if you're a generalist. Um, as Ed was saying, um, if you try to place on the first page for freelance writer or freelance copywriter, I mean, good luck to you. <laughs> Even Atlanta freelance writer is going to be very difficult and very competitive. But if you can concentrate on a niche like I've done with um, freelance business writing and freelance financial writing, um, that gives you a much, much stronger chance of ranking high in SEO. So I want to talk a little bit more about developing a, a, a I call it a niche because you know I, I got my business partners or, or they were all Canadian my VP of operations is Canadian they say niche over there it's a kind of, <laughs> it kind of rubbed off on me niche niche <laughs> but I want to I want to go there but before we go there I, I do want to ask you any tips or ideas on how once you're inside a new account now you, once you're working with a client they contacted you for one specific thing at least that was kind of the the, the immediate need. Any ideas on how you can explore other opportunities with that client? Give them ideas on other things they could leverage you for. Well, I mean, I can share an example um, great, of, yeah. of how uh, one of my clients has enabled me doing a good job for one client within a very large institution has enabled me to spread out very, very broadly within that institution. Um, it's a very large bank, uh, one of the largest banks in the country, and um, I've been had been doing newsletter writing for them for a number of years, and um, had done a good job for them. It was a steady, ongoing client, and um, my contact said, um, "Hey, can you?" also work in another and all these niches were within business and finance so you you can niche really really deep if you want to but um, anyway within the very broad realm of business and finances um, he said hey can you also write about uh, merchant services I said well yeah I can write about merchant services he, he says okay I'm gonna refer you to such and such they need help with their merchant services uh, website copy oh and can you write about um, another niche within a niche. I can't remember what it was. I said, yes, I can do that too. So he ended up referring me to two or three different um, colleagues. And these are all um, bank marketing people. And they're always looking for good outsourced writing um, writing help because they don't have the staff internally to do all the writing that has to be done in terms of you know website copy, uh, newsletters, um, bylined, uh, or pardon me, ghostwritten articles, that kind of stuff. There's so much content generated by these these big institutions, these big banks, that they're constantly looking for freelancers like us who can do that work for them. And so um, so anyway, he referred me to two or three different people within the bank. So right now, I'm writing for, gosh, I've lost count, probably at least four different areas, uh, four different niche areas, departments within one bank. And um, needless to say, they're, <laughs> they're one of, if not my biggest clients. And wow. so... But how did I get that? I guess I got it because I'd get a good job for one person and he referred me to other people. I mean, I didn't even ask him. He just, you know, he just knew that I was doing a good job on his project and that I could probably help out um, other marketing people within the bank who he knew. You know, I've encountered the same thing. I think this is, it really points to the fact that 
it, well, first of all, the, the clearing a, a niche and then also doing great work for your client. I mean, that goes without saying, but what starts happening is when you're really good and you're narrowly focused, um, I know a lot of people out there don't believe me, but you tell me, Don, if, if I'm if I'm accurate in, in this statement, they are so happy to finally found someone who's easy to work with, dependable produces great work on time every time and and gets their business and their mm-hmm. and their customers they're just they're happy to to introduce you to other people in the company. they're happy to introduce you to other people and they're happy to pay your rates <laughs> yes right so I'm not crazy right no definitely not <laughs> here this whole time I just thought that I was gifted <laughs> <laughs> no I mean put yourself in your clients shoes um, when they're looking for outsourced help, they're looking for someone who can do the job, who doesn't need a lot of hand-holding, who's not going to have to rework the, the job over and over again, who's, um, who's fun and pleasant to work with. I mean, don't discount that. Um, this is one of the things I talked about at the Freelance Forum meeting as well. Be the freelancer that your client wants to hire. Yeah. Be the person who's, who's personable. Who's who, who's fun? Who um, is you know who, who somebody wants to pick up the phone and talk to? Not somebody uh, you know who's difficult to work with. You know, I, I, it is funny because I talk to other freelancers all the time, and gosh, I hire freelancers to do all kinds of different things. And um, I don't want to point fingers, but it was a couple months ago I was talking to another freelancer, and he just sounded so depressed. And he did great work. I mean, I was looking at his website. It just it did great work. This is a designer. And it just, it was, it was tough. It was very difficult to talk to him and have a conversation because, and I'm sure it was just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I shouldn't assume anything. But I, I don't know if I really want to work with someone for probably two or three months because this was a big project that um, that was really that difficult to, to just talk to. And, and, and so a lot of it is chemistry, right? Yeah, and, and I've got another, I've got a personal story to share there as well, Ed. Um, last year, uh, for this particular bank client that I'm talking about, um, I was part of a, a, a copywriter team. Uh, actually consisted of me and one other writer. But it was a, it was a very large team. It was a very large um, web content project. They were building a portal with just dozens and dozens of content pieces, um, articles, white papers, case studies, you name it. Really big project. And they had hired me and one other freelance writer to do most of the writing. And so we would have weekly um, weekly conference calls with everybody on the team. And there were probably four and five people at the bank and four and five people at the demand generation agency that was spearheading the product project. So, you know, we'd have 10 or 12 people on these weekly conference calls just to kind of keep everybody up to date on what's going on. And um, the other freelancer, I just, I just noticed things about the way that he would um, ask questions, uh, the way that he would respond to questions. And it wasn't, it wasn't blatantly, you know, I mean, he certainly wasn't being rude, and he wasn't really being that difficult. But I would just notice the way that he would interact with the client, and e- even tone of voice sometimes. And they were just little things that I picked up on that I thought, you know what? If I were the client, I'm not sure I would really want to work with him just because he's not making things as easy as possible. And that's another thing: make things as easy as possible on your client. Um, don't 
here's one. Don't ask stupid questions. And I know people say, oh, no question <laughs> is a dumb question. But you know what? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are dumb questions. And, and clients don't appreciate that. Um, you know, they, they'll answer your question and they'll be polite. But deep down inside, they're probably thinking, that was kind of a dumb question. You should have either known the answer to that or figured it out on your own instead of bothering me with it. So, um, so yeah, so all of that is to say, um, you know, make it as easy on your client as possible. And, and, and again, this, these are just my personal observations. I frankly never shared that with anybody. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have here. But, um, you know, just some things that I had noticed in terms of another freelancer who I didn't think really made things as easy on the client as he possibly could have. Yeah, just to, to emphasize a key point here, this is not about a personality. I don't want anyone to say, yeah, but I'm not type A. It's not about type A, type B. This is about being easy to work with. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly, exactly. So, um, okay, so so let's, let's switch gears to uh, – because I know one thing you're really good at is – and I, I can see that now because you talked about how you have that entrepreneurial streak in you in that – in. You, you've done a really good job of increasing, improving your productivity, and which, of course, drives your internal billing rate. And, and you're very mindful of that. Tell us a little bit about how you measure that and what things you've done to make more for every hour you put into your business. Sure. Um, yeah, I shared this at the meeting last week as well. And um, this is something that occurred to me about six months into my uh, full-time freelance writing business. Um, I realized that as a self-employed professional, freelance writer, of course, but really any self-employed professional who provides a service, your inventory is your time. And any ask any manufacturer or retailer, um, you know, how important is it to track your inventory? Well, geez, it's very important. I mean, your inventory is your business, you know? And so when I realized that my inventory is my time and I wasn't keeping track of it, that was another light bulb moment for me. And so at, from that day, starting on that day, about six months into my business and to this day, and as far as I'm concerned, for as long as I run a freelance business, I will keep track of my time every single workday of the week. Um, I'm not obsessive about it. I, I keep I track it in 15-minute increments, not by the minute or not even by five minutes. Um, I, I don't go nuts with it. I, I, I keep it approximately, but at the end, of I keep a timesheet, and it's a very simple Microsoft Word document that I created. I mean, I'm not a, tech, I'm not a high-tech guy, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not an Excel guy. That's for sure. I hate that program. <laughs> a financial guy hates Excel. Yeah, I know. first. But... Um, you know, it's a simple Microsoft Word document. I track the projects that I worked on for the day, how much time I spent on them, and how much money I made. Now, of course, there are long-term projects that can't be summed up as easily as, you know, two hours on this project build X amount of money. So I keep it approximate. But at the end of every day, I know how many hours I spent on which projects and how much money I earned. And and I can't, I cannot overemphasize how important that is in terms of um, goal setting from both a productivity and an income standpoint um, and just keeping knowing where your time goes. Um, like I said, during, during those first six months when I wasn't tracking my time and income, I just, I just kind of felt like I didn't know. I mean, I knew I was working and I knew I was sending out invoices and I was collecting and depositing checks and all of that was good, but I didn't feel like I'd a, I had a handle on it. And so just the simple process of tracking my time and tracking my income every day has been one of, if not the most important things that I've done. Wow. Wow. It's, um, 
that's key. I, I, I'm with you 100%. I know for me, you know what? One thing that it gave me is a target, and it showed me if I was improving or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it started making the, the the internal rates that I was shooting for more realistic or mm-hmm. more real to me, not realistic, more real to me, more doable. Because I remember when somebody told me, um, Ed, there's no reason why you shouldn't be making $150 an hour or more. Mm-hmm. This is when I was getting started. I thought, well, there's just no way. That just mm-hmm. seems so crazy. Um, but as I started working on my productivity and tracking stuff better and working, doing a lot of the things you mentioned where I was working for the same clients, doing more work, so I was becoming much more efficient and I just knew the stuff. Mm-hmm. I saw my rate go up, you know, way past the two hundred dollar an hour mark, mm-hmm. right? And then that was my new reality. So to me, you know, it got to a point where anything under two fifty was, you know, something was wrong. Exactly, and and and, and I'm in the same boat, Ed. If I'm not, uh, I mean, if I'm not earning a hundred dollars an hour on something, then I'm totally wasting my time. Um, I'd, I'd preferably I'm in the one fifty to two hundred hour um, and up on on most of the work that I'm doing now. This parlays into another topic, and I don't know how much time you want to spend talking about it, but you know, hourly versus project pricing. Um, yeah, give us your take no, on that. <laughs> no freelance writer is going to go out and, and charge $150 and up per hour for work. Um, but if you price your work on a project basis, then you can earn as much as you want per hour because it depends on how fast you do the work. And so when you have a profitable niche – like financial services, where you can charge relatively high rates for your work and complete it very efficiently and very very quickly, then internally you can earn $200 an hour or more. Um, now, are you going to quote your client a, a price of $200 an hour? Of course not. You quote them a project price. Uh, they don't know how long it takes you. Frankly, they don't care how long it takes you. All they care is that you complete the work on time and that you do a good job. If you do that, they don't care if you make $500 an hour. So so I'm a strong, strong proponent of project instead of hourly pricing because when you price on a project basis, your your income, your hourly income is is almost unlimited. But again, getting back to the time and the income tracking, the only way to know how much you're making internally on all your work is to keep track of your time and your income. I'll add something to that, Don, which is that um, it's, it's kind of a, a paradox in that the the more you do for a client, so the more work, the more people you're working with inside that organization, like your biggest client, as an example, um, not only does your internal hourly rate go way up for that client and overall, but in a way they need you more than ever. Mm-hmm. The more you know about them, the more they need you because they cannot afford to let you go and start from scratch with somebody else. Right, exactly. Now, now, of course, that there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with that. I'm not talking about abusing that, but I'm talking about the freedom that gives you to really – kind of run a very different type of business, right? Because you ha- you have more choices now. Um, you can choose to kind of scale back your hours if you wanted to, at least temporarily, or um, really, of course, just keep them the same and earn a heck of a lot more. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- there are a lot of side benefits to doing what you just described. I, I couldn't agree more with you. 
And another thing is I was thinking about, because I, I, I really, um, this is one of the things that I'll get up in all my soapbox and, <laughs> and yell and scream about, and, um, and, and I get kind of passionate about it. Uh, and, and, and again, I was talking about it at the, um, at the meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it occurred to me that when you price by the hour, you've set a, you've set a limit. You've set a limit on how much money you can earn because um, if you can bill out eight hours a day, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. It's, it's almost impossible to bill out eight hours a day because there's other aspects of running your business that aren't just doing paying client work. But let's say that you can bill out eight hours a day, which is probably the best anyone could ever do, if that. And let's say that you can bill at a rate of $100 an hour. Um, very few freelance writers, I think, would be able to bill at $100 an hour. But let's just say $100 an hour to keep the math simple. So now, and, and you're billing at eight hours a day. That's $800 a day. Uh, now, that's good. $800 a day, eight times five is $3,500 a week. That's, that's really good income. That's going to put you well into the six-figure range. But that's the most you're ever going to make. You're never going to make more than that $800 a day. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, I had a client project. Uh, it was a rush job. They needed it very quickly. Um, it was very niche content, uh, fairly sophisticated content. And the client turned to me. This is the same bank that I've been talking about. Uh, they turned to me to do it because they knew I could do it. Uh, they knew I could do it quickly and that it wouldn't require any rewriting on their end and it would be a no-fuss, no-must project. And I knew all of these things, so they asked me for my rate. And I said, $1,500. The client's reply was, thank you, exclamation point. <laughs> okay, so they were thrilled to pay me $1,500 to do this project that they knew they would get on time and they knew it would be what they needed it to be. It took me about four hours. So do the math. That's that's close to four hundred dollars an hour. Um, it's fifteen hundred dollars in a day. Um, now again, that's not typical. Okay, <laughs> that probably that's probably set the record in terms of my you know highest profitability productivity project. But that's just an example of of what um, what you can earn when you're pricing on a project basis. When you know your client, when you know what they can afford to pay, when you know what the project is worth to them. Not what your time is worth to you. It's a matter of what's the project worth to your client. And when you start thinking that way instead of what is my time worth to me and you know how much should I bill on an hourly basis, that's when your income can really go through the roof. So where, where are you thinking about taking your business? You know, If you look ahead in the next three, five years, what do you see? Wow, that's a great question, Ed. You didn't prepare me for that question. <laughs> <laughs> see that? I got to throw one in there. Right now, I'm just uh, I'm just trying to uh, keep up <laughs> with um, with the the projects that I have, the clients that I have, and um, and get everything out on time. Uh, looking down the road, um, I mean, I suppose I could get to the point where I would become uh, more of a project manager, so to speak. Um, I would start uh, sending writing jobs out to a team of writers. Um, of course, taking a cut of each one of those. Uh, I mean, that's the way to, to grow your business exponentially. Um, logically, it makes sense at some point down the road. Uh, but, but frankly, I, I enjoy what I'm doing now. 
Um, I, I love writing. Um, I'm incredibly blessed to uh, to be able to spend um, all day, every day, and in, in my professional career doing something that I really enjoy doing. Um, so I'm in no hurry to start handing off projects or or doing more project managing or anything like that. Uh, right now, I'm just enjoying enjoying doing what I'm doing, um, enjoying doing a lot of writing and and and, and pleasing my clients. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's actually, that's excellent. Uh, a lot of people feel that, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? It doesn't have to be a next thing. Um, this, this is not a race. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And I'd say in, in many cases, it does make sense. I mean, I, I'm kind of wired in a way that after every five years or so, I get an itch to start a new project. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that that's that's a personality thing, right. and it's got to make sense, right? I don't just go with the urge; it's got to make a lot of sense. Uh, and many times, it starts out as a hobby, you know, as an experiment. So I kind of limit the time and, and resources I spend. But gosh, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with um, you know staying where you are and, and enjoying your work uh, because the moment you start shifting it and, and growing a different type of business, there's there's a different set of challenges that come with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've given some thought, Ed, to um, entering the world where you live, the world of, uh, you know, writing books, getting books published, um, doing training, consulting, um, you know, the kind of work that you do. Um, that's certainly one route that I could go down the road and, uh, and, and, and share the kind of things that I'm sharing here, um, you know, on a, on a one-on-one training basis with clients. Who knows, maybe write a book like, like you and Peter Bowerman have done, although you guys have kind of, kind of got the market cornered there. No, you know, <laughs> there's serious there's, competition. <laughs> everyone has a different story to tell and, and everyone has different ideas, insights and ways of, of doing it. And it's not so much about, you know, the market being cornered. I actually think there's room for, for a lot of people in, in any market. Um, so, man, that, that would be awesome. You'd, I think you'd be a great teacher. Well, thanks. Thanks. That's, and I enjoy teaching. I enjoy um, uh, speaking with you uh, in an interview like this. Um, I enjoy speaking before a group of other freelancers and, and, and kind of sharing some of my thoughts and insights. Um, uh, as, as hopefully you guys can tell, I, I can get pretty passionate about this. And um, I just would like to, uh, you know, do, do more that, I, you know, more more opportunities to um, to help other new freelancers uh, kind of learn some of the lessons that I've learned and put some of these tricks into practice to uh, help grow their businesses as well. Well, so where, where can listeners learn more about you? Can you give us your website? Sure, can of course. They, how can they connect with you? That's, uh, my website is um, com. That's Don, S-A-D-L-E-R, writer. Dot com. Um, you can go there. You can uh, see an example. Take a look at my homepage, and um, I'll give you one guess, and it probably won't won't need two to figure out uh, the keys, uh, the the uh, keywords and keyword phrases that I optimized on my homepage that have resulted in me ranking um, very high on the first page, usually number two or number three at the lowest for my keyword search terms. So if if you go take a look at my homepage, you'll easily quickly see what those search terms are. And um, that might give you some um, some some tips to um, to write your own uh, website copy for whatever your niche is. Uh, to be able to rank high in the search engines. Um, you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter. That was one thing I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to. Uh, the other marketing thing that I do is I send out a monthly e-newsletter um, uh, on all different kinds of uh, content marketing, uh, writing, marketing, those kinds of things. Um, you can sign up for my monthly e-newsletter. Um, I also publish it as a blog on my website, and you'll see all of my past issues listed there on the right-hand side. And um, So take a look at that. Awesome. 
Well, Adon, thanks so much for sharing all this with us. I really appreciate it. It's uh, this is not only informative but very inspiring. So, so thanks for taking the time today. Good, thanks. I enjoyed it. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And I wanted to remind you that you can find the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 48. I had a couple of announcements for you before we sign off. One is the fact that we're going to go to a bi-weekly format here at the High Income Business Writing Podcast. And by that, I mean, we're going to start publishing every other week instead of every week. Some of you might know that I have another podcast that I recently launched called the Smarter Freelancing Podcast, and that podcast is already in a bi-weekly format. So here's the plan, because many of you are subscribed to both of them. I'm going to be publishing the High Income Business Writing Podcast one week and then Smarter Freelancing the following week. So that way, there's always a podcast, a new show every week. And I don't overload you with content, which is one of the things that I'm trying to avoid here. I want to give you great information, but I don't want to overwhelm you either. So if you don't know about my Smarter Freelancing podcast, you can check that out at smarterfreelancing.com. So that brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.